Well, I want to welcome you here today, especially those of you that are visiting with us for the first time. Welcome over in the venue, and thank you, Brandon, for leading worship, and Pastor Tim, and all of you over there that make that such a, a great gathering. If uh, you're watching online, we're grateful that you're, you're with us. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 John chapter 1. And uh, I think today's message is going to be perfect for leading us up to uh, communion and our time of worshiping the Lord through our giving. And so uh, make sure you, if you have a Bible, you turn to 1 John chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible, all of the um, verses will be in your program. They'll come up on the jumbotrons. They'll come up on the computer. They'll come up uh, over there in, in the venue. Before I get into the message, I want everybody to reach inside their, their program and pull out that little uh, piece of paper that says kicks for, for kids, okay? We have an important uh, thing we're involved in here, and this is our last chance to kind of talk to you about it. About 10 years ago, maybe a little over 10 years ago, this church decided that it wasn't okay for children in our town to go back to school without all of the stuff you need, papers and pencils and protractors, uh, backpacks. And uh, it came to our attention that there were lots of kids, hundreds of kids in our city that will go back to school and they just didn't have the, the, the tools to make it happen. And so we partnered with the Gospel Mission and for about 10 years we would bring backpacks this time of year and our stage would be filled with them and then the Gospel Mission would distribute them. Well, what happened was, is uh, a lot of churches now do that, praise the Lord. There was a time when we were about the only one, and there's lots of organizations now that go out and get backpacks, and so the Gospel Mission had plenty of backpacks to give out, but they said, hey, listen, here's another need that the children in our town have, and that is shoes. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me, because my kids have shoes, with an S at the end of it, multiple pairs of shoes. But there are kids, there are children in our town who don't really have any shoes or the shoes that they have are just really worn out and so they will go back to school with holes in their shoes and all of that and we said, well look, uh, our family here at Big Valley Grace, we're gonna take care of that for you this year. And so what we need you to do is you can look on here, you just go to, I don't know, Walmart or Target or whatever store you want, and you buy, you know, obviously a pair of tennis shoes, something like that, that a child, regardless of their age, could be an elementary age, boy or girl, it could be a, a junior high boy or girl, it could be a high school boy or girl. You just buy the shoe, you bring it here next weekend, or shoes, put them on the platform, and the gospel mission at their big party, at their big rally that they have, they'll um, uh, put the shoe together with the child. So all you have to do is go out and buy the shoe. Now, when you bring the shoe here, we are going to put into the shoe a gospel of the box, a gospel of John, and we'd like for you maybe to write something that would go inside the, the shoe box, something you might say personally to whoever might pick up that, that shoe. You could share your favorite verse with them. You could you know, share whatever it is you wanted to share with them, but it's super important that this week you can bring them to the office Next weekend, as you come to church, let's fill up our stage, not with backpacks, but let's fill them up with, with shoes, okay? So make sure you take this home, you're praying about it, go out, buy an extra pair of shoes or two, and bring them here next, next weekend, okay? And let's be a blessing 
to those in our community that don't, don't have shoes, all right? Last week, uh, we started a, a new series here at Big Valley Grace where we're walking through the, the book of 1 John together, okay? John was the writer of five books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he was also the man who wrote the book of Revelation. And I don't want you to get him confused with John the Baptist. He's not John the Baptist. That's a different John. They just happen to have the same name. John, uh, the writer of 1st John, was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was a part of Jesus' inner circle. In fact, Jesus thought so much of John that when Jesus was on the cross dying, just about the time he took his last breath, he looks down and sees his mother, Mary. Joseph, his earthly father, Mary's husband, was probably long dead by the time that Jesus hung on the cross. And so Jesus looks down, sees his mother, who was a single mom, if you will, and he says to John, John, I want you to take care of my mother. I'm putting you in charge of making sure that my, my mother's taken care of after I'm, I'm gone. So John was a, a very, very, very close friend to Jesus. John would have traveled around with Jesus. John would have heard Jesus preach uh, many of his messages. John would have been there to actually see Jesus uh, perform his miracles. He would have had meals with Jesus. He would have had coffee with Jesus. He was there when Jesus died on the cross. He was there when that body came off of the cross. He knew exactly where that body was, was put. He was one of the first to show up to the empty tomb. John, the writer of 1 John, was, a, was very, very close to, to Jesus. Now, one of the reasons that John wrote this letter was because there were a number of false teachers running around teaching a lot of crazy things. They were teaching uh, heretical things, and many of the Christians at that time were being tricked into believing some of these crazy things. They were really good, these false teachers, at what they would teach. And what they were doing is they were they were leading a lot of believers away from the true faith. One of those crazy teachings was this, and look how crafty they are. They're gonna, have, they're gonna put a bunch of truth in here along with a, a lie. The teaching went like this, when you receive Jesus as your savior, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. It indwells your flesh, and that is true. And the Holy Spirit within you is good and, and pure and, and holy, and that's true. And your flesh is evil and sinful and, and crummy, that's true. So your spirit and your flesh are two different things, and that's also true. But here's where they would deceive people. They, they taught that because your spirit and your flesh are two different things, it was okay to live an immoral life. It was okay to live a sinful life. You were free to live any way you wanted to live because your spirit and your flesh were two different things. In other words, they would teach you could live in disobedience to God and his word and still enjoy fellowship with him. 
They were teaching that how you chose to live had no impact on your relationship with God. If you chose to obey God and, you know, in his word, that was fantastic. You and God would enjoy a good relationship with each other. If you chose to disobey God, that was fantastic too. You and God would enjoy the same good relationship. And so John had to write to these Christians and let them know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. See, when you go in and you're going to testify, you always testify that you're going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, because you can tell the truth and still be deceptive. And that's what false teachers were doing back when this was written, and that's what they do today. They give you just a little bit of truth, a little bit of truth, a little bit of truth, suck you in, suck you in, and then boom, you don't even really realize it, and they hammer you with some untruth. And so one of the reasons why John has written this letter was he wanted to make sure that they understood the, the truth. So let's read our text for today, okay? First uh, John chapter uh, 1, look at verse 5, okay? Look at verse 5. We'll start right there. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves, not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we're just calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Chapter 2. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And we can be sure that we know him. Here it is. Here's how I can be sure if we obey his commands. If we claim... Or if someone claims, I know God, but does not obey God's commands, that person is a liar. One of the names that um, John had was, he was called one of the sons of thunder. Kind of tells you a little bit about his personality, and you see it right there in that phrase. He doesn't mince any words. He's not interested in whether you feel good about whatever he's going to say. He's just going to tell you the truth. You're a liar! That sounds like somebody would have the nickname Son of Thunder. You're a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Now I just want to point out a, a few things. Okay, this isn't everything you can find in this text but I want to give you at least a, a few things that I think will be a blessing to you, and I think it's going to set up our time of communion. 
I think we're just going to have a great, great ending to our, our gathering here today and over in the venue. So the first thing that I want to point out from this text is this, is that God is holy. God is holy. He's holy. Look at uh, verse 5. John says, this is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you. Here it is. God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. In other words, God is holy. God is righteous. He's different. He's perfect. There's no darkness in him. There's no sin in him. He's nothing but, but light. In the book of Revelation, John is given a glimpse of heaven. And one of the things he sees are these four special angels. And he records this in Revelation chapter 4. He says, each of these four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is, and who was, and who is to come. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if you will. God has put these four special angelic beings someplace in the heavenly realm, and they have one job to do, and that is to simply say, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's all they do over and over and over and over again. So for those of you that are troubled by some of the songs we sing nowadays that say the same verse over and over and over again, I guess you and Jesus can have a little talk about why these angels say the same thing over and over and over again. Maybe there's a theological basis to some of the songs we might sing that you've never thought about. Hmm. Why is this happening? Why has God put these four special angels in heaven and said, this is what I want you to say. You're never to stop Sameness. Is it for God's benefit? Does God somehow need to hear these words repeated over and over and over again? Is it a self-esteem booster for God? Well, obviously, it's not for God's benefit. I mean, he knows he's holy, and it certainly, you know, he doesn't need to have his self-esteem pumped up. But God did know that we as human beings have the tendency to forget things or at least maybe I do. So he made sure that when we get to heaven, we'll never forget this important truth, that God is holy. He doesn't want anybody who's there to ever forget that, that he's holy. He's holy. But why holiness? 
I mean, God could have had these angels declare, merciful, merciful, merciful is the Lord God Almighty. And that would have been true, right? He could have had these angels say, loving, loving, loving is the Lord God Almighty. And that would have been true. He could have had them say, forgiving, 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 gracious, 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 caring, 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 right? All of those would have been true. But he chose holy, holy, holy. Why? Well, I think there's probably lots of reasons, but let me give you the one that came to my mind. He chose holiness because it's his greatest attribute. It's the summation of all that he is. Now, what exactly does it mean that God is holy? Well, it means a lot of things, but let me start with this. It means that he's different than you and I. <laughs> way, way different than you and I. It means that he's perfect. He's pure. He's unique. He's majestic. There's nobody else like him. You see, we have this book, and it's called the Holy Bible, and the word Bible simply means book. But this is a holy book. It, it's not like any other book. It's, it's a unique book. It's, it's set apart from all other books. You can go down to the Stanislaus County Library. You can go to our own library, and we've got lots of books. The Stanislaus County Library has lots of books, but there's one book that's in there that's unique that's separate, that's special. It's not like any other book in the library. It's holy. That's what it means. God is telling us he's different than us. He's holy, he's special, he's, he's unique. Exodus chapter 15 says, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders, and the answer is no one. <laughs> Nobody is like the God who's revealed between these two leather-bound covers. He's holy, he's unique, he's special. Now this brings me to number two, or the second uh, truth, and that is this. If you have a relationship with God, if you've entered into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your life over to him, and remember, he's holy, then you can't be okay with living an unholy life. Can't be okay with that. Look at verse six. <clears throat> Our brother says, so we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. As I said earlier, one of the reasons John wrote this letter was because there were all these false teachers out there teaching that you could live in total disobedience to God and his word and still enjoy fellowship with him. Still in, you know, enjoy fellowship with his son. Still, you know, enjoy fellowship with other believers. They taught that, you know, if you chose to obey God, you know, that was fantastic. That's good. 
you and God would enjoy a, a good relationship. If you chose to disobey God, that was fantastic too. It didn't matter. You and God would enjoy the same good relationship. And John, in this passage, is telling them and us that this is a false teaching. It's a false assumption. Beloved, if God, who is absolutely holy and absolutely righteous and absolutely perfect, in him there is no darkness, truly lives within you, it'll make a difference in how you choose to live your life. It has to make a difference. If God, who is absolutely holy and righteous and perfect, truly lives within you, it'll change the way you live. It'll change the way you think. It'll change the way you talk. You'll begin to make choices that honor the God that lives within you. You'll begin to see things from a biblical viewpoint. You'll begin to want to live your life based on God and his word. Now, you won't you know, live a, a perfect life. Nobody can but you'll have the desire not to live in spiritual darkness or, or sin. One of the things that's troubling to me, uh, and it seems like it's, I'm seeing it more and more in people that I counsel, is that they're okay living in sin. Everything's gonna be good between them and God, and so they're, they're just living in brazen sin. And they'll tell you that everything is great between them and God. Everything's fantastic. This was written 2,000 years ago. I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm seeing people who claim to know the Lord. They claim to know this holy, holy, holy God that he lives within them, and yet they'll live in sin. God had Peter write these words, and I want you to notice how I said that. God had Peter pin these words. You see, we believe, as I shared with you last week, that the Bible is God-breathed. The Holy Spirit supernaturally came upon these writers and they wrote the very words that God wanted them to write. Now they wrote it in their own personality, but these are God's words to us. And so God said this to us in 1 Peter chapter 1, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, because I'm holy, God says. Christian, God had Peter write this. It's God who wants you to live holy. It's God who wants you to live in the light. And if you claim to know God as your Savior, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you claim to have fellowship with God, yet have no problem living in darkness or sin, John simply calls you a liar. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it just makes sense. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. When, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you surrender your life over to Jesus, your sins are forgiven. 
If that, was a, if that was a genuine decision, if you genuinely invited Christ into your life, he comes into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. You now have the Holy Spirit in you, which gives us, makes us one in Christ. It's what brings us together. It's why we can have fellowship with one another because the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. And at that very moment, if that decision was truly genuine, positionally, God sees you as holy. You're made right with God. God sees you as righteous at that moment, okay? God, you know, when I received Christ all those decades ago, at that moment, I had the Holy Spirit within me, and God the Father now looks down from heaven, and all he sees is the light of his Son, the purity of his Son, the holiness of his son in my life and that trumps all my sin and so I became a part of the fellowship of believers I now had fellowship with God and I had fellowship with his son that very moment okay but God also expects that his followers Christians while they're still alive down here on planet earth to live a holy and righteous life Yes, positionally you're made right with God, you're made holy with God and all that. But down here, as we walk around, God still you know, now expects us to live differently, live holy. I was reminded of two brief and yet powerful moments in the life of Jesus. Number one, in John chapter five, Jesus heals a crippled man at the pool of Bethsaida. And then he says to this man, stop sinning. Stop sinning. In other words, don't live the way you used to live. Live holy. Live differently. And number two, in John chapter 8, Jesus forgives a woman caught in the very act of adultery, and he tells her, now go and leave your life of sin. Don't, don't live like you used to live. Live holy. Live differently. Don't be like everybody else. Don't live like everybody else. Live differently. Be different. Be holy. Both of these people have an encounter with Jesus. He forgives them of their sin and then tells them to go and live their lives differently. In other words, Jesus says, don't live you know, a, a life the way you used to live your life. I want you to live it differently than you used to live it. Don't allow sin to reign in your life. Don't uh, uh, live in, in darkness. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 of our text. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. This is an important thing to God. that you used to live one way. Now that I live in your life and I'm holy, I want you to live differently. I don't want you to live in sin anymore. Don't want that. Look at chapter two, verse three. And we can be sure that we know him if we say a prayer. No, he doesn't say that. 
But that's kind of what the American church has come to, hasn't it? If you just say a prayer, then you're saved, right? That's not what the Bible teaches. Saying a prayer is a good thing. I said a prayer. But God had John pin these words, and he says, here's how you can be sure that you know him if you live differently. If the words of this book matter to you to the degree that you obey them, you become a doer of the word. That, that's how you'll know. Beloved, I know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, not because I said a prayer. Now, I said a prayer. But I know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ because I have watched my life change. There are many of you out here, some who knew me before I was even a believer. And there's no doubt about it, I could have you come up to a microphone here and say, I knew him when he was a young man when he came into this church, and I have seen his life transform before my very eyes. That's the proof that I am a true, genuine follower of Christ, is that my life has changed. Now I said a prayer. Here we have people all the time who make professions of faith, and we use that term, a profession of faith, because I don't know whether it's genuine or not. You just simply spoke some words. How I know it will be genuine uh, will kind of be borne out in time, you see. And so we watch people come to the follow class. We watch them start to get involved, and we start to go, wow. Not, it wasn't just a profession of faith. This was a, a genuine moment where they entered into a relationship with the very one who came and lived and died for them, you see. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone says, I know God, I've given my life to Christ, I walked forward in Big Valley Grace and gave my life to Christ, I went into the altar room and gave my life to Christ, I came to an Easter service in Big Valley and I gave my life to Christ. But you don't obey God's command, that person is a liar. And the truth, Jesus, the holy, righteous God, doesn't live in them. But those who obey God's word, they truly show how completely they really do love him. That's how we know we are living in him. That's how you know. Those who say they live in God, those who say that they're a follower of Christ, those who say that they love God, I love Jesus, should live their lives as Jesus did. And that... It's kind of sad, you know, but the world we live in today, I mean, that just makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense. I think 1 Corinthians chapter 6 really gives us a good understanding of, of this. Paul said, 
Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the the kingdom of God? Don't, Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or those who commit adultery or those who are male prostitutes or those who practice homosexuality or those who are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or or cheat people, none of these people are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Then it says, some of you were once like that. And let me tell you something. I've been here for 30 years if you're visiting with us. I can look at that list that Paul rattled off, and there are people in this church right now, every single one of them are represented here today. Every single one of them. I was probably at least three of them before I gave my life to Christ, maybe four, depending on how you interpret one Greek word. I don't know which one you were. Now, some of you have walked with God for so long, you forgot the fact that you used to be like one of those people. You forgot it, and that's sad. You don't want to forget what you used to be. Because when you forget what you used to be, then you forget about how beautiful the bread and the cup are. When you forget about the sin that separated you from God, whatever it was, and I don't know what it was, That's a dangerous place to be as a follower of Christ. But then the passage goes on and says, but you were cleansed, you see. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of his righteous and holy son in whom there is no darkness, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, God doesn't save you so that you can be like you used to be. He doesn't save you so that you can simply go on living any old way you want. He doesn't save you so that you'll continue to live in darkness. He saves you and and gives you the power to live differently. He gives you the power to live a holy life, a unique life, a a separated life than how the rest of the world is living their, their life. And what exactly does a holy life look like? Well, Romans chapter 8 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Beloved, Jesus is the perfect picture of holiness. He's the perfect picture of righteousness and purity, and God wants you to be like him. He wants you to become like his son. Now, you're never going to be his son, but he wants you to be more and more transformed in the likeness of his son, which means you can't be okay living an unholy life. How can you possibly Say, you know what, I know Jesus and God's transforming me into the likeness of his son. That's what the Bible says God wants to do. And you have no problem living an ungodly life. They they just don't go together. And I have people all the time who sit in my office and they're, they're just lying to me. They're living in sin and they're okay with it. And I love God just as much as you do. And you're just going to live in sin? Yeah, I am. Look, you're not going to stand before me. All I can do is take the word of God and do my best to proclaim it. That's all I can do. And you're reading the word of God for yourself, and I'm adding a little commentary to it, if you will. But I think this is an important 
important topic, especially for, for, for today. Now here's the deal, nobody's gonna live a, a perfect life, nobody. <laughs> I've told you many times, look, uh, when we got together and prayed a little earlier, we just prayed about, man, the, this beautiful thing called the church, and it's just filled up with goofed up, messed up people. And I said, I'm at the top of the list. I don't always love the way God wants me to love. I don't always treat others the way I would want to be treated. I don't always extend mercy to others the way God wants me to extend mercy. There are times when this little four-ounce beast, things come out of here that are just really, really sad. I don't always live out the faith perfectly. Nobody's going to. Nobody. But a true believer will have some sort of reaction to sin. They'll have some sort of reaction to disobedience. I've shared this quote with you before, but it's worth looking at again. Uh, Dr. MacArthur said, it's not your perfection that proves your salvation. Because if that were the case, then none of us in this room, we, we would never know we were saved. It's your reaction to your imperfections. That's what proves you're a believer. That when you sin, when you walk out of the will of God, something happens, you know, you just kidney punch. You just go, wow, really, did I just say that? In the tone that I just said, it? oh, that was crummy. You just know. You, 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 and you're, you're quick to kind of deal with it. Look at verse six again. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're just not practicing the, the, the truth. Look, you're not gonna do it perfectly, nobody is. And I know there are Christians who kinda come off like they do. Yeah. Those are the worst people to hang out with. They really are. Hey, we all ought to put a lot of effort in to live in a holy life, and it takes some effort. <laughs> it, it takes a lot of effort. But we're not gonna do it perfectly. I've told you this before, but for those of us that are true followers of Christ, our theme verse could be Ephesians 4, which says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You see, if you really know Christ as your Savior, I mean, nobody wants to grieve God. We don't want to live our lives in a way, you know, in an unholy way. We don't want to live our lives in a way that's contrary to the Word of God. We don't want to do that. We don't want to grieve God. 
The last thing we want to do as a Christian is to live our lives in such a way, right, that we would grieve God. But there will be times when we won't pull it off. There's going to be times when we, you know, say things that we know are wrong or, or we do things that we know are wrong or as our brother James says, to him who knows the right thing to do and they don't do it, to him it is sin. There'll be times when we're supposed to do something and we don't do it. We're all going to fumble the ball as it relates to that. This side of heaven, we're going to blow it because we still have our sin-filled nature, which brings me to number three or the third truth that I hope will just make our time of communion really sweet. Jesus stands ready to forgive you when you do sin. Verse 8, if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, if we agree with him that, you know what, God, how I just talked to that person was wrong. What I just did, those actions I just took are wrong. They don't line up with your word, God. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're just calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Beloved, the Bible tells us as believers that we're to hate sin, right? We're to flee from sin. We're to purge our lives from sin. We're to confess our sins. The Bible tells us we're to confront other believers who are living in sin. Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no, no, no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In other words, it teaches us to live a holy life. But this side of heaven saying no to sin and or, and or ungodliness can be difficult at times, right? Because of our sinful nature, our Adamic nature, sometimes sin can get the better of us. And here at Big Valley Grace, we understand that. We, we understand that somebody can genuinely give their life to Christ, really enter into a relationship with Jesus, long to live a holy life, long to obey the word, and yet struggle at times with sin. We get it. We understand that. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. I've met a few people who have told me they don't sin. <laughs> but they're liars. They sin. We understand that the spirit here at Big Valley Grace is, is ready and willing and able to say no to sin, but the flesh that the spirit is housed in is very weak and doesn't have the capacity of saying no, which is why the Bible teaches us that we're to walk in the spirit. Now the good news is this, is that the Bible gives us a lot of really great thoughts on how you and I can better overcome sin in our lives or how we can better say no to uh, sin. In fact, let me give you two of them just quickly. Number one, remember what sin did to Jesus. It cost him his life. 
When, when you're about ready to do something that's sinful or wicked or evil, just, just take a second and, and remember what sin did to Jesus. Just, just you, you want to move ahead? Move ahead with it. But before you do, just stop for a second and remember. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, Beloved, Jesus Christ suffered to the point of death, a brutal death, a, a heinous death, a, a humiliating death. Jesus had nails rammed through his hands, a nail rammed through his ankles. He had a crown of thorns jabbed onto his head. He was beaten to a pulp because of your sin. Just, just stop for a second and remind yourself of what it cost Jesus to forgive you of that sin. Sin is an ugly thing. It's so ugly that it cost Jesus Christ his perfect life, his holy life, his beautiful life. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. The second person of the Holy Trinity, and we're going to hold a little piece of bread that reminds us that God came here, and he came here with a purpose, and that was he was going to die because of your sin. My sin. Peter said this in chapter 3, Christ suffered for our sins once and for all. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Look, when you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to disobey God, when you're tempted to live in an unholy way, remember what it costs to cleanse you of that sin. It costs a lot. In just a moment, you're going to be holding these two little things. Just... I just want you to hang on to them and remember that fact. It cost the very body of the Lord. And that wasn't enough. Wasn't enough that the holy, righteous God would come and live. He had to come and die. There, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And the second thing I want you to do is remember to always fill your mind with God's word. You have to think the way that Jesus thinks. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, since Christ suffered while he was here in the body, strengthen yourself with the same way of thinking that Christ had. Some of your Bible says you've got to have the same attitude that Christ had. Look, you'll never win the battle against sin if you don't have the same attitude that Jesus had or you don't think the same way that Jesus thought. Never. If you want to have any chance, Christian, of saying no to sin, you've got to think like Jesus thinks. And the only way you'll ever think like Jesus thinks or have the same <clears throat> attitude that Jesus had is you've got to fill your mind with the Word of God. This is the only way that you know what Jesus thinks is with this. Now, we had uh, one of our former presidents, Jimmy Carter, 
who recently, I got the quote in my office, who claims to be a Baptist, <clears throat> he uh, claims to teach Sunday school, and if he was my Sunday school, if he was my son's Sunday school teacher, I'd get him out of there in a heartbeat. The last thing I need is a, a guy like him teaching my son or my daughter anything about the Bible, because he came out and he said this. He said, hey look, I don't have any scripture to back this up, but I just believe that Jesus would be okay with certain things. Now I don't have any scripture, and the, the, he was honest. The, I don't have any scripture that backs it up, I just feel this way, and I thought that, and I thought, you, you gotta be kidding me. You feel a particular way, so therefore that's what it is, and that's what you're gonna teach, because you feel like it? You don't have any scripture to back it up, but you feel that way, really? Listen, if I ever stand up here, or you're ever in a church anywhere, and some preacher stands up and says, you know what, I don't have any scripture to back this up, but I just think Jesus would be okay with this. Get your Bible, grab your purse, and get out of there. Because the only way you'll ever know, look, the, the only way you'll ever know what Jesus thinks is right here. This is it. This is it. I wish there was more, but this is all that God left me. Now someday we're gonna get to heaven and we're gonna hear all kinds of things. We're, we're, we're gonna be with Jesus and there'll be all kinds of things that we're gonna learn and hear and all that. That's gonna happen. But right now, this is all we got. This is it. And if you wanna be able to say no, if you want any shot at saying no, you gotta know what Jesus thought. You gotta get your nose into the word of God on your own, just reading it and enjoying it, going to a Bible study, pulling out a number two pencil, you know, and your yellow pad of paper and doing some studying. You gotta memorize the word, all those things. You gotta meditate on the word, all those kinds of things. Paul said this in Colossians chapter two. He said, so then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. Continue. The Christian life isn't just a one-time thing. It's not simply a decision you make at some point in history and then it's over. The, the Christian life, it's a journey. It's a journey that we're to continue in. God wants us to continue to grow in our relationship with him. He wants us to continue to learn more about him. He wants us to continue to walk in the light, continue to walk in love, continue to walk in obedience, continue to walk as Jesus walked. And all of those things somehow come right back to this unbelievable book that most of us sitting in this room probably have 10 of them at our homes, right? And some of you, I know you've walked with God so long, the bindings have broke, and don't you hate that? So you had to go out and buy a new one, and all your great notes are in the old one, but you got a new one, you began using that one, and I just got a new one. My other one kind of fell apart on me now. Oh, all my notes and my things. Oh, I'll just start a new one. We're fortunate that in this country we have the Word of God, and it's just so neat that we can read it. You see, God wants us to continue in those things. I, I like the way the King James words this passage. It says, instead of continuing to live in Him, it says, continue to walk in Him. And beloved, if you want to say no to sin, you have to continue to walk. 
with Jesus. And one of the critical ways you walk with Jesus is by filling your mind with the words of Jesus. And that, that makes some sense. Look, if you do these two simple things, remember what it costs to cleanse you of your sin and fill your mind with the word of God, the chances are pretty good you'll experience greater victory over sin. You'll live a, 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 a more holy life, if you will, down here on, on planet Earth. Um, I'm gonna, I, I just want our, our, our folks to get into position to hand out um, the communion elements and, and stay with me over there in the venue. I, I wanna tell you a story uh, one of my mentors has been dead for a long year, uh, a long time. It's Charles uh, Spurgeon, and I have mentors who uh, I was very thankful that they recorded their sermons, wrote books, and they still mentor me even though they're they're long gone. I have a lot of mentors who I've never met, but they've written books and they're still alive today. And I have a lot of mentors who are alive who I get to interface with. But one of my mentors was Charles Spurgeon, and I read a story this week that I think will be really great as you hold the bread in the cup and as you have communion over in the venue, and that was this. Charles Spurgeon was walking one day with one of his deacons, and they were making their way um, down the street, and they came to a, you know, a corner, a street corner, and the deacon and Charles kind of started to walk across the, the street together, the deacon didn't notice, but Charles had stopped in the middle of the street. The deacon gets to the other side of the street. He turns around, doesn't see Charles Spurgeon, but he sees him in the middle of the road. And he's kind of got his head down. It looks like he's praying. And a carriage almost hit him. And, and, and for those of you who don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, he lived a long time ago. They didn't have automobiles. They had carriages. And this carriage almost hit him. And so finally, you know, after a minute or so, Charles looks up, makes his way across the street, and he gets to the deacon. And the deacon says, Charles, what was going on? Why did you stop in the middle of the road? It, it looked like you were praying. And Charles Spurgeon, he, he, he said this. He said, a cloud had come between me and my Savior, and I wanted to remove it before I got across the street. And I read that, and there were a couple things that blew me away. Number one was how sensitive Charles Spurgeon was to sin in his life. Thoughts that might creep into his mind. Anything that would lead him away from Christ. Anything that would come between him and Christ. That was the first thing. And the second thing was how quickly he was going to deal with it. He wasn't going to wait till he got to the other side of the street, and we don't know what, what that cloud was. We, we don't know what that thing that was that came into his mind. Maybe he saw something right then and there that he lingered on too long. I don't know. Maybe he thought about, uh, maybe God reminded him of something that he had done or said to somebody else, and that thought came to his mind right there. He wasn't going to wait and deal with his sin somewhere down the road. He was going to deal with it right now. That's how important it was to him, which is probably one of the reasons why he was such a great man of the faith. And um, we're going to sing a song, and, and, uh, and I'm going to pray here in a moment. And as this is passed, and over in the venue, as you take communion, I want you to hang on to it. We'll take it together. We'll receive it together. And in the venue, you, Pastor Tim will, will walk you through it over there. But I just want you to hang on to it, and I want you to take a moment.
If you truly know Christ and you know some sin in your life, you better deal with it. This is an important moment. Yes, God is holy, and yes, we're going to blow it as, as believers, but we can't be okay with unholiness. And if there's something in your life that you need to deal with as you hold the bread and the cup, I want you to deal with it. Ask God to forgive you. And if you're not willing to do that, then just let this thing go by. Don't walk forward and get your bread and cup over in the venue. If you're not willing to deal with your sin, just, just sit there and let the Holy Spirit pummel you. And I hope he does that. Father, thank you, Lord, for this moment. And may this be a, a great three minutes as this stuff is passed and people just get to be with you. And you love them deeply. You love them. The bread and the cup just scream how much you love people. How much you care about them. May this just be a great time of, of uh, confession and all of that, God. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.